Good morning. So I hope you're all feeling well rested and relaxed and alert and ready to practice. And if you're not, I hope you can make space, make room for whatever you're experiencing now. So trying to meet whatever your experience is with this attitude of kind curiosity rather than struggling with it. And for myself, again, it's just a delight to wake up and see the sunrise here and realize, wow, I'm in the mountains or on the edge of the mountains. And hear the sound of the birds, that dawn chorus. And then coming into the hall for the first sitting this morning and just feeling how much more settled we all are after even just one day. So as we start this morning's practice together, you might like to remember those aspirations that you wrote on opening night. So we have this beautiful bowl here full of those aspirations and they can be a kind of a resource, almost like a beacon of inspiration for us over these next few days. And in fact, the words aspiration and inspiration, they have the same Latin root, which refers to breathing. So I think of aspiration and inspiration, not just as niceties, but actually necessities, just as the breath is essential to our life. So we'll be exploring mindfulness of breathing soon. But before we go there, I just wanted to give a little bit more context for what we're doing here and why we're doing it. So just briefly last night, I mentioned how the, the title of the retreat, it gives us a clue. So rest, renewal, resilience, release. And again, as I mentioned last night, unfortunately we can't just tell ourselves, okay, stop, rest deeply, get more resilient, release what's getting in the way. And if we were to try to force that process, it will probably just have the opposite effect, create more agitation and stress. But what we can do is sensitize ourselves to what conditions support this deeper resting and ease and what gets in the way then with that understanding we can orient to the conditions that are supportive and help to release the ones that are obstacles so this is another way for those of you who are familiar with the Buddha's teachings of talking about right view and right effort And remembering that I've been framing right effort as what I'm calling relaxed diligence. And so this process of relaxed diligence, in these early days, it's a process of sensitizing ourselves to our actual experience, recognizing it more and more clearly, and at the same time learning how to restrain or even totally release our habitual reactivity to what we're experiencing. So to keep it fairly simple to begin with, we can train in paying attention to three fairly broad aspects of our experience. So one is knowing what's happening in the body. Then knowing what's happening in the heart-mind. 
And then lastly, knowing how we're relating to that experience. In other words, what's the attitude in the mind about it? So right there, I've just named three broad domains of our experience that we can train in paying attention to. The body, the heart-mind, and our attitude to experience. So we can practice that even right now. So it's like taking a kind of a momentary snapshot. How's the body in this moment? You just take a moment to pause and tune in. To notice perhaps any physical sensations that might be predominant. Or perhaps an overall energy in the body. Just noticing whatever's most obvious. And then you can ask the same question in relation to mental activity. So what's happening in the heart-mind now? And we use this term heart-mind instead of just the English term mind because in English the word mind is often associated with just the intellect. But in the Buddha's teachings the word citta, which is usually translated as mind, is more than just the intellect. It includes our emotions and moods. So heart-mind hopefully gives a fuller sense of what we're including here. So again, right now, what's happening in the heart-mind? And you can just acknowledge to yourself maybe a type of thinking, maybe some kind of emotion, maybe a background mood. And again, this is intended just to be a kind of a snapshot. So we're not overthinking it, not trying to work out, is that resentment or irritation? If you're not sure, you can always just note something. And if necessary, come back to it later. And then the third question, how am I relating to this experience? What's the attitude in the mind about it? So you might notice As you take that snapshot of the body, the heart, the mind, maybe there's a little bit of reactivity of some kind. Perhaps some kind of wanting or not wanting. That energetic leaning into the experience or shrinking back from it, resisting it. So if or when we recognize either of these kind of reactions, we can bring mindfulness back to the body. And as we were practicing yesterday afternoon, inviting that sense of ease, pausing, relaxing. So our capacity to be able to tune in like this It's dependent on two specific qualities of mind that the Buddha highlighted all through his teachings as being crucially important. And these two mental qualities are mindfulness and stability of mind, or sati and samadhi, to use the Pali word. And just to say why I use Pali sometimes alongside the English words, It's partly because as these teachings get more and more mainstream, 
when they're translated into English, they can lose some of the subtlety, the depth, the nuance that are there in Pali. So although in the beginning perhaps it takes a little bit more effort to get familiar with these terms, as you do, you'll start to get a more direct sense of and a deeper understanding of how they're actually experienced in practice. So sati, mindfulness, is the capacity to know our immediate experience very directly, just as it is, without getting lost in thought about it, without getting entangled in it, without clinging to it, without resisting it. So some of you know the highly regarded Thai meditation teacher, Upasaka Ki Nanayan, and she talks about cultivating, quote, an unentangled knowing. That's just another way we can think of mindfulness, as this quality of unentangled knowing. Sounds very simple, not so easy in practice. So if I was to say to you, okay, just sit here, be continuously mindful just for two minutes, and I set a timer, if you really paid attention, if you had some kind of machine that could measure the mind, probably wouldn't be fully 100% there for the whole time. And in fact, telling ourselves being mindful can feel like a setup, because within seconds, the mind reverts to its usual habits of wandering and worrying and ruminating and fantasizing and planning and proliferating and so on. Sometimes we don't even recognize that's happened until the bell rings 45 minutes later and we suddenly realize, oh, a little bit lost there. So I sometimes joke that instead of calling our meditation mindfulness of breathing, it should be called mindfulness of thinking with occasional breathing. Because for most people, that's actually more accurate. And so just to know that, know that there is thinking that is good practice, and we'll be exploring that later on in the retreat. The reason that we can't stay with the breath, or whatever our anchor is, is because we don't have enough of the second quality of mind, which is samadhi in Pali. That term is often translated as concentration. I tend to, like many teachers these days, avoid translating it as concentration, because what happens when you hear that word in English? I don't know about for you, but for me, almost instantly my brow furrows and my eyes get narrow and something in me tenses up, okay, focus, focus, concentrate, concentrate. True samadhi actually comes from letting go, from releasing, which is why we included that in the title, resting and so forth. So samadhi is the mind that is very stable and steady, not scattered or distracted. It's unwavering, unified, sometimes talked about as absorbed, in the experience, completely absorbed. And when it's developed to its deepest capacity, its experience is extremely pleasant, even blissful at times. And this samadhi, this relaxed and steady presence of mind, is necessary to support insight, 
clear seeing. So in the text, the Buddha was very clear that we need both these qualities working together for the deepest insights to arise. And he actually used the analogy of hands washing. We need two hands washing for the washing to be effective. So sati and samadhi, they work together. And in actual practice, they're inseparable. But we can train in understanding how each of these qualities feel. Now, unfortunately, for most of us, the conditions of our ordinary lives are very counterproductive for cultivating samadhi. So we tend to often be multitasking, we're overstimulated, we're habitually distracted and scattered. It's not surprising when we sit down to meditate, our minds are all over the place. Anybody notice that, or is it just me? Only you. Yes, yeah, I thought so. Okay, perhaps we should swap places. <laughs> so I think for most people, especially in the first few days of a retreat, it feels like our minds are bouncing all over the place. And we need to bring a lot of patience to this process of just being with however the mind is. So one analogy that's sometimes used for this is it's a bit like training a puppy we might sit the puppy down on a piece of newspaper and we say, stay. And what happens? Within seconds, it's up, it's running around. We tell it firmly, kindly, come back, stay. Each time it moves away, come back, stay. And eventually the puppy understands what we're trying to do. And then eventually it obediently just stays sitting in one place. Hopefully from that analogy it's clear that to be, we need to be kind to the puppy. If every time the puppy moves away we whack it, eventually the puppy's not going to come back at all. And it's the same with our minds. We want to encourage that returning, maybe even reward it with puppy treats or I don't know what the meditation equivalent is, but recognizing what's pleasant about simply being present is one way we might do that. And the more we keep connecting to those moments of pleasantness, that strengthens the samadhi and we can feel deepening contentment, happiness, joy, possibly even bliss at times. Now again, this is a process. It takes time to develop sati and samadhi together. And yesterday we began establishing mindfulness of the body and Julie offered us those instructions. And so with that we can come now to uh, mindfulness of breathing, which is in the standard development of insight meditation. We establish mindfulness of breathing as what we call our anchor or our primary object or our home base. So it's somewhere we can keep bringing the attention back to whenever the mind's wandered. And we use the breath because it's always there. As long as we're alive, there's the possibility of bringing awareness to the breathing. So even right now, as you're listening to me, some portion of your awareness is hearing the words, 
but some also might be just knowing the rhythm of breathing in the background. The second benefit of the breath is because it's in the body, it can only ever be known now. So unlike the mind, which seems to constantly bounce from the past to the future, the moment we're connected to the experience of breathing, we're here, now, in this moment. And because the breath has a rhythm to it, it flows in and out and it's constantly changing in subtle ways. It's a little easier to pay attention to than if something was static and still. So if I ask you just to you know, focus on a spot on the carpet, stay with that, make that your meditation object, probably wouldn't last very long there. So the rhythm of the breathing has that balance of having just enough change to be interesting, but not so much that it's agitating. And for many people, that rhythm of the breathing is calming. So that gentle in and out, we can experience it as helping to steady and to soothe the body, which in turn steadies and soothes the mind. Having said that, there's one tendency in relation to this practice, especially at the beginning of a retreat, is to make too much effort when it comes to mindfulness of breathing. So we can tend to think of, okay, now I'm doing my mindfulness of breathing. And there's a little bit of extra efforting that creates tension in the mind. We can do it with an agenda. I'm going to do my mindfulness of breathing so that something special happens. And even though I try to use words like receiving the breathing, or being with the breathing, or knowing that you're breathing in and out, people still sometimes hear focus on the breath, and only the breath. So if that's true for you, see if you can rewrite that, and rather than trying to rigidly fixate your attention on the breath, and yank it back as soon as it moves away. Instead, we're encouraging this broad, open, spacious receptivity to the experience of breathing. Do you hear the difference? Is that making sense for people? So again, this is where that question, what's the attitude in the mind, can be helpful so if we're coming in with this expectation that I'm supposed to be getting calm and I'm getting more tense, that's a great time to just drop in that question. What's the attitude in the mind right now? Ah, there's resistance, or there's pushing, or there's tensing, or there's wanting, or there's frustration, and so on. And as soon as we see that, just the clear recognition of it sometimes can help it to let go. At other times we might need a little bit more investigation and a little bit more invitation to relax. So we feel that pushing somewhere and recognize, oh, the jaws are a little bit clenched or the shoulders are a little bit hunched. Okay, just take a deeper breath, settle, soothe, steady. So in this way we're cultivating that relaxed diligence that I've been emphasizing for the last few days. 
Okay, so that's probably plenty of words to begin with. Let's just uh, take some time to give that a try. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.